Hello everyone joining us online, welcome. For those of you who are new here, my name is Steven Cornaros. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Cornerstone. I'm super excited because we get to continue in our Time to Choose series, and we're gonna be talking about the concept of living out of the soul. Really, the choice to live out of the place of the depths of, our, of who we are. And part of that is that raw depth and authenticity that's found in who we really are. The vulnerability of coming before God in a way that is our true selves, right? In this Instagram filter avatar sort of world we live in, how does that look, right? And that's what we wanna talk about today. And we're all invited to do so. And it really puts us in a position to have a relationship with Christ that thrives and grows in the way that is fruitful and helpful and satisfying and fulfilling. All of that is what we wanna to discuss today. And so we're, before we do that, I just wanna spend some time in prayer and just give this time to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for this time to dig into your word, to talk about living out of the soul, the place that's authentic and vulnerable, how you want us to come to you and approach you. Lord, bless this time, bless the word, God, as we um, open it up, as we go on a journey and bring us to a place in that journey that brings us to a place of depth, of health, of fruitfulness, in our relationship with you, in Christ's name, amen. So we are gonna use a scripture from Luke chapter 18, nine through 14. It's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So to bring some context before I read the scripture, there are two characters here. There's the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee would be the modern day spiritual leader. So maybe a pastor or a priest, some sort of clergy. And the tax collector, if you think about it today, you might think an IRS, you know, or something like that, you know, a tax collector from the IRS, but that's not what it is because the tax collectors back then would be individuals who would actually steal. They would just, they would take the taxes, but then they would take more for themselves. So they were pretty despised, very much like we would despise someone who would take advantage of the elderly, like a scammer taking uh, someone's uh, pay or limited amount of finances. That is exactly how we would might view what it, they viewed it as a tax collector then how we would view it today. So there's that sort of uh, anger and sort of condemnation that's looked upon this individual. So going with that frame of mind, let's go into the scripture. Verse nine. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He's talking about the Pharisee and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like this, like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Within this parable, there appears to be a snapshot of three aspects that will help us 
live out from the place of the soul, from the depths of who we are. And those three aspects are authenticity, intention, and posture. As a side note, as I was looking at these three, you know, I, I noticed it spelled, the, uh, the, it spelled AIP, which sounded like ape. And I'm thinking, I was like, can I do something with that? And then I just was like, nah, I'm not going to monkey around with it. <laughs> that's, that's so bad. I know, insert groan here, right? Anyway, um, I was really though, I was, I was looking at these three aspects. I felt like they summed up sort of what it means to have true vulnerability when we come to the Lord. And I want to separate them in these three points to help kind of highlight different aspects. But before I do that, I want to talk about the concept of living out of the soul and what I actually mean by that. I found it in a book from Gordon McDonald, and he coins this phrase, living out of the soul. He says the following, I believe that living out of the soul describes life as God intended it. To live out of the soul is to be in touch with my creator, to live with an eternal perspective, to live as fully as possible in a mixed up time. Now, this was written in 1994, revised in 97, and I'm like, if it was mixed up then, what are we now, right? So I'm looking at this, I'm like, it's so apropos for today, because mixed up doesn't even go take that, describe the half of where we are at, right, in our society. But I feel like when we look at this parable and what it means to live out of the soul in that context, we're talking about our inner life. Our inner life, our soul, that is what we're talking about. And if you want to think about it as a garden, we can live a life that's super surface, right? It's easy to do that in our world today. You know, like I said, I said Instagram filters, avatars, we can sort of portray who we want to be and how we want others to view us. But really the Lord wants to go deeper than that surface area into the depths of our soul. And for many of us, that might be a place that's kind of desolate if it's not being watered, if it's, we consider it a garden. If we're only staying up on water level and really not digging in deep, then there might be something missing in your life and you might be sensing that. Others of us might be watering it and it's thriving and for others it's kind of half and half, you know? Or maybe it's just always a struggle trying to keep it healthy. And this is normal for all of us who are walking the path with the Lord. So what we're going to be talking about is that inner life. Living from the soul is there. And for those of us who, have, who came to know the Lord, at that point before we knew him, imagine a desert, a desolate place. No water, no green, no verdant illuminations from plants, right? Instead, we're dry and thirsty wanting something, but then we find the Lord and all of a sudden there's an infusion of the Holy Spirit. Life begins to teem, the, the essence of the Garden of Eden filling up in our souls from the point we met Christ. This, this is what we're talking about, right? That's where we wanna be. The thing is, we don't, it's not just a one and done. The Lord did all the work for us, but he's like, hey, this is a relationship, guys. I wanna work with you. I want you to tend this garden with me. So that's what we're gonna be talking about, tending this garden through authenticity, intention, posture. So with that, let's go for the first part of this, authenticity. Living out of the soul requires approaching God with authenticity. In this story of the, of the parable and the tax collector, you can argue that the Pharisee was actually being authentic based on where he was at, right? He was authentically prideful, right? Where the other, 
the difference we're here with the, the tax collector, he was authentic, but he was also completely sober-minded, self-aware of where he was at, where the tax, the uh, Pharisee was not, right? First uh, Peter 4, 7 through 8 says this, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I love that alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. It's almost like a prerequisite to praying, which I think that's pretty accurate. Like you're not really going to get very far if you don't come alert and sober-minded. So with a Pharisee, he might've been alert, but he was not sober-minded. He wasn't self-aware of where he was coming from. He was basically kind of, you know, patting himself on the back and then condemning others, right? While he was doing so. Uh, the one thing about, I like about our area in San Francisco, which is, it's great. People are super authentic. Um, there's sometimes they're authentically crazy. Sometimes they're a, a, a authentically in a, in a basically an unhealthy state. But you know, like for instance, like if you're going down the street and someone who's suffering from a chemical dependency, screaming and yelling at another person, they're being authentic, right? They're not in a sober mind, but they're being authentic. So there, you can be authentic, but not be in a good place, right? We're talking about being authentic and sober minded and really coming, having a place of self-awareness where you're aware of your brokenness. And then we come to the Lord with that. In order to live out of the soul, it's a, a complete requisite to have that. The other part of what First Peter said here, I mean, what it says in First Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. If we don't have love in this journey we're on with the Lord, we got, we have nothing. I mean, this is the foundation if we don't have that in our hearts, if, if we don't, we can have faith, we can do all the things, right? But if we don't have love, it's nothing, right? It says in scripture, it's like a clanging symbol in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so if we don't have love, it's pointless. And the whole purpose of Christ taking on flesh, becoming us, dying on the cross, all of it was about this deep love for us to return us to that state of the garden of Eden, that beautiful relationship. It's all about intimacy. That's what it is. And our response is to continue to cultivate that intimacy with the Lord. And for us to do that, we need authenticity. We need more than just the surface, the feels or the facade, right? Imagine it being a relationship, maybe a relationship with a spouse or a close friendship. This is what our relationship with Christ is to be like. If we always just stay on the surface with a human relationship, that relationship's gonna die on the vine, right? We need to be real. If it's always surface or if it's just having fun or if it's just like only the good times, like fair weather friends, those aren't true friendships. Those aren't lasting friendships. At least they don't go to a place of depth. The Lord wants to go to a deep place with us. He wants it to be healthy. You know, I was uh, in full-time ministry on the East Bay and it was in an affluent community. And I, my wife and I would always kind of talk about you know, we'd go to church and we'd see all these people and they, they have really nice cars and they dress super nice. And, and, and for a lot of those folks, it was almost like a facade. They were trying to keep a facade of something that wasn't real. You know, they were coming and they looked all good on the outside, but things were happening that were really brokenness on the inside in their family life. And it was sad to see that. Um, there is a part of church when we come together as a community, we're, the Lord wants us to come with who we are, with a knowledge of our brokenness. 
there's a quote from uh, St. John Chrysostom. He's an early church father in the fourth century. He said, the church is a hospital and not a courtroom. I would go further and say the church is a hospital, not a fashion show. It's also not a show, right? Some of us come and we maybe come for an experience, which is like the surface part, right? And some of us come to be healed. That is the right way to come. Authentically knowing we're broken, God help me, heal me. You know, it's not, another way to put it is, the church is not a, a car show, but it's an auto body repair place. You know, <laughs> you bring your car in, right? It's, it's got something wrong with it. We all come, all of us, from pastors to anyone visiting, we come to church needing healing. Authenticity is, is a key for this, living out of the soul. So being honest and self-aware as we approach the Lord. The second aspect I want to focus on intention. Living out of the soul requires approaching God with intention. And I would add consistency. So both the tax collector and the Pharisee both came to pray, right? Intention is a great thing. You know, of course, you know, people come and have good intentions for many things, but they don't always work out, right? In this case, the Pharisee is coming. His intention was to pray, but all he did was like pat himself on the back, like we mentioned earlier. But the tax collector, he came with the right intention. He came with an intention of repentance. But I want to focus on that aspect of consistency and intention. If we have a relationship, again, going back to that relationship concept, if we're not connecting with the person that we want to have a good relationship with, where is that going to relationship go? If we're never talking to that person or communicating or having times of intimacy, maybe going on walks or, or going out to a play or whatever it is that you do to connect with this person or have a hobby that you, you do, you have time with them. You have FaceTime, right? It's the same. It's no different with our relationship with the Lord. Uh, I had an example I wanted to give you of someone in my life that's super dear to me. It's my brother, David. Uh, my brother David actually used to be one of the pastors here at Cornerstone over a decade ago. And um, if it wasn't him and his wife, Claudia, my sister-in-law, I wouldn't even know what Cornerstone was and probably wouldn't even be here. So, um, but growing up, my brother David, uh, as the oldest, he's 12 years my senior, he was the epitome of consistency, faithfulness, integrity, um, responsible, I mean, he was so scheduled. I, sometimes I wonder, did he schedule going to the bathroom? I mean, <laughs> kidding, but like he was extremely on top of it. You can count on David. And I really learned from my brother. Not only that, but he had a genuine heart of compassion. I remember when I was 17 years old, I came down with double pneumonia, meaning both my lungs were filled with fluid. I was 17. I think I, I, I was about, a, I got down to a hundred and, 31 pounds or something. I looked awful. It was like 30 pounds less than what I, you see me now. And I was in the hospital in Los Angeles visiting some friends and my parents were in, in Greece and it was only my brother. And he had a business he was running. He was doing all these things, but he dropped everything and he flew down to come see me and be by my bedside and take care of me like a father. You know, his consistency in the Lord, his faithfulness came out in compassion and love and really came out with the true fruit that the Lord wants us as human beings to express to the world. This is the fruit of consistency and intention. And it's a beautiful thing 
And we can do this in context through the church. The church provides these tools for us to do so, connecting with God through prayer, through community building, like being part of a small group, having the small village, right? To be connecting with people one-on-one, to be in a, a place of worship, worshiping together, right? And coming together in places of serving. When we serve together, we're doing the Lord's work. This, that builds that garden inside of us. And it doesn't have to be super difficult. Like, how do I do this? Maybe for those of you who maybe don't have a relationship with the Lord or are new to your relationship with Christ, starting a relationship with the Lord only starts with talking to him, inviting him into your life. And it can be cultivated by simple prayers. It could be just making a consistent uh, routine, a rhythm to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, have mercy, be with me today. It could be just literally as simple as that and maybe doing the afternoon once and maybe doing it in the evening. Start with that, start small. Maybe the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for me, Lord. Forgive my sins as I forgive others and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. All those are beautiful prayers that we can really connect with. And there's, there's so many out there that we can choose from, but we can start simple. It's very attainable. This is not for the spiritual giant. God, the, the Lord did not give us this faith for the spiritual giant or some, some person who can't attain these things. It's for everybody. It's welcome for us all. So with intention, this is how we come before the Lord to cultivate this garden of our souls. All right, so the third one here posture. Living out of the soul requires approaching the Lord in a posture of humility. I chose that word specifically. I was having a conversation with, um, with an Eastern Orthodox priest um, years ago, and he was talking to me, and he was discussing how uh, there is this aspect where sometimes we as Christians forget how to come to the Lord in the right posture. And he used the word phronima, which is a Greek word. And um, I'm Greek, so I, I tra- that's actually translated posture, but it's not posture as in like, oh, let me sit up straight kind of posture. It, it, it's more than that. It's the posture of our souls, of our lives, of how we come before the Lord. And that's why I wanted to use this word because the tax collector in this uh, parable is the one that comes with a posture of humility. I almost imagine him as he's coming down, Lord, have mercy on me. He's actually falling down on his knees and broken, is beating his chest. Lord, have mercy. And that picture is what the Lord wants of us. It is complete vulnerability, complete raw, real, visceral kind of approaching the Lord and asking for his help, asking for whatever it is, whatever's going on in our lives. And it says in this, in the parable, for everyone who exalts himself, Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the whole point of that parable to remind us what it's all about. Jesus was the perfect example of humility. He came down from his throne, took on the flesh. So he could, that's how much he loved us. He, he descended that to that level of humility to come into where we are at, even in poverty, to experience it all for our sakes, to help us to save us. That is the the purest form. And he showed it in his own humility for our sakes. And then he was exalted to the highest place. I wanted to express a little 
side story from one I was talking about earlier. Um, in June, I, I had a message and I, basically it was a, a story of how I got to Cornerstone, but there, there wasn't time to go into a certain aspect that I wanted to today. And there was a point in my story where I talked about how I was in full-time ministry and I left full-time ministry. I became an FBI agent for 11 years and then I um, came back into ministry. So about, this is probably about 12 years ago or 12 or 13, I was in ministry and I was myself, even though I was literally as a worship director at a church, I, I was kind of had a, this surface level kind of overly casual relationship with the Lord. My phronema, my posture was not what it should, should have been. I wasn't consistent in my prayer. It was kind of up and down. I mean, I totally connected with the Lord, but it was like this and it was super casual and it was, it was about feeling and, and wanting the feels and, and getting this emotional connection with the Lord or having some kind of other revelation, you know, what's new on the horizon on, on the spiritual front Lord kind of thing and always looking for the next thing. Really kind of a worldly mindset, really, the way, uh, the way we see today how, how folks chase the next thing, the next cool thing, right? You know, but like if I, in the end, like chasing feels is not going to get me anywhere. I mean, I can go to a Marvel movie and get the feels. Um, so the Lord was like, hey, my relationship with you is more than emotion, more than spiritual experiences. I want you to go deeper. And I said, yes, Lord. And I was at a place where I was actually saying, Lord, I want all that you have for me. I want to go deeper. And, but the funny thing is, instead of taking me to somewhere new, he took me to somewhere old, which is very interesting. So at that point in my life, I was like, I kind of realized that I was putting my identity in being a music minister at a church. And instead, I realized that I couldn't have that as my identity. Christ needed to be my identity. So what I did was I literally left that career. And I, that eventually led me to becoming an FBI agent. But in the meantime, my church experience completely changed. I actually went to a liturgical church. It had, you know, incense. It had candles. It was, you know... It had icons and all kinds of stuff that I was never used to. But I went there to be, go to a place where I wasn't doing anything. So there was no band. There was just singing with voices. And I just was part of the church there. I was just part of the community. I, didn't, I purposely didn't get involved in leadership. I just wanted to be part of the community. I learned the value of silence. I learned the value of humility and posture. I learned the value of just having everything Christ-centered. It just filled my soul. I learned old ancient prayers that just spoke what was in my heart that I couldn't say with my words. And it gave me kind of an arsenal of beautiful uh, tools to use in my prayer life to help me and build me and ground me. And I balanced out. It was no longer about emotion. And it didn't matter anymore that I, oh, I felt the tingles here or I, I, you know, I had a great time worshiping and I felt God or whatever it was. And I'm not saying that God doesn't come through our emotions. He totally does. But he doesn't want us to remain there. And there was this depth I learned that helped balance me as, as a Christian, as someone wanting to go deeper in my faith. It cultivated the garden of my soul. So, I learned like that tax collector to come with humility. In fact, the early church used this whole aspect of the way the tax collector came towards God saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and created a prayer that earlier monastics and others throughout the church would use. It's called the Jesus prayer. And they, you pray it like this, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God. 
have mercy upon me, a sinner. It expresses all the things that we believe, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God. And that we, as sinners, he is saved. And we ask for his mercy in our lives, whatever is going on. It just kind of encompasses things when we don't know what to pray. God, help me. I don't know what to do. That's essentially what it's like, right? And it's a beautiful way to come and just simply give God, surrender what's going on in our lives and help us through difficult situations. What a beautiful prayer I wanted to share. It's a prayer from St. Basil the Great, again, an other early church father um, from the fourth century. And during the early church, what they would do to create this rhythm of prayer was actually have things called the, the hours of prayer. And they would be at different times and they'd focus on different aspects of the gospels and the, and the acts and different things in the scriptures. Um, and this one was the 9 a.m. one, and, um, it's, and they really focus on the time of Pentecost. And I just love how it's written because it, it encapsulates all the points we discussed, the authenticity, intention, and posture of humility. And it reads this. O Lord, our God, you have given your peace to men and sent down the gift of your all Holy Spirit to your disciples and apostles opening their lips with fiery tongues by your power. Open also my lips and teach me, sinner that I am, how and for what I ought to pray. Guide my life, O calm haven of the storm-tossed, and reveal the way in which I should walk. Renew in me a right spirit and make my mind steady with a governing spirit so that guided and guarded each day by your good spirit, I may be enabled to practice your commandments, always remembering your glorious presence, which looks upon the deeds men do. Do not let me be deceived by corrupting delights of this world, but rather strengthen in me the desire to attain the treasures of the world to come. For you are blessed and praised in all your saints unto ages of ages. Amen. This brings it all together. The authenticity, the intention, it's praying something that's deep within our heart. There's, and there's nothing wrong with completely just expressing to God where you're at in a way that's from your own words. But sometimes we just don't have the words and someone else did. Someone who's gone through it writes it down. And there's so many resources for those types of things from the ancient to the modern. There's so much there that we can pull from to help us and encourage us on this navigation in the ship of life as we travel in the Lord, seeking him as he blows us through the storm-tossed waters with his spirit and then calms them for us as we reach out to him in prayer. In conclusion, I wanted to highlight how living out of the soul is not easy. No, it's not. Very rarely is the easy way the best way. But it is the most fulfilling. It is the most rewarding way to have relationship with the Lord and really excel in life in general. Living out of the soul, coming to Christ with authenticity, intentionality, and humility sets us up for a life that is truly satisfying, becoming truly who God made us to be, which is a dwelling place for him. 
if we imagine ourselves not just a garden, but a home that God fit, uh, comes and fixes, adjusts, helps us become the house we were destined to be, that is what we were meant, a dwelling place for God, a house for the Lord. I love how C.S. Lewis lays it out in this quote from your Christianity. He says this, imagine yourself a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. If we let him, for we can prevent him if we choose, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless steel mirror which reflects back to God perfectly. Though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. This quote, to me, describes the fruit, the result of what occurs when we start living our life out of place of the soul. Choosing to live that life consistently with authenticity, with humility. This is the fruit. We become a dwelling place for God, a changed person, the person we were meant to be that God intended us for us to be, a dwelling place for the King Almighty, a throne for the King of glory in our hearts. Maybe those of you today want to begin a relationship with Christ. If you do, I encourage you to call out to him, invite him into your life. And please let us know if you need help with that journey. We want to help you with that. For those of you who are new to the journey, I hope this encouraged you in your faith. And those of you who are seasoned, maybe there are things that, there that encouraged you and challenged you as well to refresh some things going on in your relationship with the Lord, to help cultivate the Lord in, in, in a way maybe that's lacking. All of us need that, myself included. Before, the, before we have our time where the band comes up and, and shares this beautiful song, our very own Phil Pasercio wrote a song called Joy of the Lord. And I asked him to sing this for us, prepare this for us, because I felt it captured the aspect of the humility of the tax collector, where he's on his knees and he's aware of his shamefulness, aware of where he came from and crying out, the Lord heard his prayer. And then I imagine the Lord, even though this is not in the parable, because he does says the, he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I just imagine the Lord Jesus coming into that scenario and just picking up the tax collector and embracing him and saying, you are forgiven my son, encouraging him and giving him joy and hope and giving him strength. And I just, 
That is what I, this song, I believe, will encourage you. And as you listen to this song, think about these aspects and pray through it. I pray it encourages you. And I pray this time together was one that uplifted you and blessed you today. I just want to pray before we go into this song, um, encourage you as we come before the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Wow, God, you're so merciful to us. You're so good and so patient with all the things that we do to kind of mess up the garden, you know? We, we come and we forget, maybe neglect, or maybe we do things that are, are not helpful, but you're so patient with us that you come and you say, my son, my daughter, hey, look over here. Hey, tend to this a little bit, you know, so we can, you know, pull up some of these weeds. Lord, help us to do that. You're so kind. Your spirit's so gentle coming in and helping us through these times where we struggle to help us get to a place of health. You just want what's best for us, like any good father. And I thank you for that. And I pray for those who are online listening to this, that they would be encouraged today. That if, those, if there's any there that do not know you, that they would just, you would put something in their soul that knows, oh, I need this. This is what I need. I need the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And I pray they reach out to you, God. And I pray, Lord, those who've heard this message would be encouraged, would come to a deeper place in you. We love you, God, and we ask for your mercy today. Lord, you are our joy. You are our hope. You are our strength. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joy. 
What a blessing to know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, God calls us into the deeper places, but the deeper places are not always necessarily serious places when it, when it comes down to it. it. It may be something that is joyful, <laughs> full of life, right? Even when he calls us to yield and to give and to surrender, it's so that we can be blessed. And I want you to be so blessed. I do. I know the Lord wants 
all of us to be blessed, to walk in the wholeness of his promise and in the holiness of his ways. So my prayer for you, loved one, is that Jesus would keep you. He would be your best friend, your good shepherd, the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. That's who he is. And I pray that blessing over you even now, in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your body, and in your mind. In Jesus' name, go in the goodness of the Lord.